Hey guys, what's going on? You are listening to Terrible Warriors. That's right, I am your Game Master, but today I am your MC, or Master of Ceremonies, Mike the Birdman Dodd. You may also know me from ThisWeekInGeek.net. And today, uh, well, because it is the month of August, and we're taking a break from recording a lot of new games on Terrible Warriors, or at least we're getting a lot of our best of content. So you may be listening to Star Wars Leviathan, could be Shadowrun, the uh, Candy Factory job. I'm not sure what else Justin has planned for this month, but I'm deciding to take this month to do some interviews with some of my favorite developers in the field, because this month is Gen Con, 50 years! And it's going to be a really exciting time in Indianapolis. So if you guys are going there, please let us know feedback at terriblewarriors.com. We'd love a chance to hear from you. Today on the line, I'm going to be talking with Chris Birch, and he is the founder of Modifius Games over in England. And we're going to be talking about wargaming. And now, this is something we've never really tackled on the show because it doesn't really lend itself to an audio format. But... I couldn't not talk about this because of the IP involved. And I want to know, because role-playing games and tabletop is so much more than just a collection of stats. It's also, you know, how you get involved. Is it your favorite IP sort of thing? And this one, like I said, is particularly close to my heart. We're going to be talking about Fallout Wasteland Warfare. So without any further ado, let's welcome Chris to the show. Hey, guys. I am so excited to talk to you because if you go to the website, <laughs> modifius.com, you guys have a section dedicated to this for Fallout. And like I said, it's a war miniatures, kind of like a skirmish style game. And I yeah. never knew any company had the, had the IP to Fallout since like the mid 2000s when there was that whole kerfuffle over the D20 license. And just to see it being available in some official capacity is super exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time uh, love of mine of the, of, you know, playing the different games. And uh, so it was a real dream to, to get the license to be able to work on this. Let's go back to the beginning of the beginning before we dig into Fallout. So Modifius Games, yeah. now you guys have been around for quite some time. And you in your first game, I think, was Achung Cthulhu, right? Yeah, that's right. That was the our Kickstarter, which was uh, World War II meets Cthulhu. And you've got um, kind of desperate heroes uh, rocking around the Western Front or further afield fighting Nazi super scientists and sorcerers who are trying to end the world and uh, and it's a lot of fun and it, we started it out with um, Call of Cthulhu and Savage Worlds rules so people from different kind of spectrums of gameplay could enjoy it and that was that was our first baby first product that we managed to get together and that was actually we started that six years ago and we were just selling PDFs I had a, a job uh, designing t-shirts and um running a t-shirt company and uh, and then gradually got fed up with that and decided to go back into my first love gaming because i've been playing rpgs and board games and war games since i was uh, a wee little kid so it's not the impossible dream to do your day job and also design games on the side and then transition from that into something full no yeah Absolutely. I can tell you what, because I did the first adventure we did for Action Cthulhu. We got everyone involved on a, on a royalty. So the writer got a royalty, the artist got a royalty, the designer got a royalty. 
and um and we all and i was like okay i'll put it all together i'm going to market it i think we'll sell some good numbers and we everyone did really well out of it because we sold like a thousand copies uh, you know i i had run a pr company before so it helped uh, and i you know i loved and knew the tabletop audience so i knew where to go to get out there so it's it's definitely doable you don't need a load of money i didn't i didn't start with a load of cash to throw at people to pay them to do stuff i did it did it all on a shoestring budget so um anyone can do it and then we we built up an audience and did our kickstarter and and that was the beginning of everything so well, I got to say, uh, congratulations on your success. It does give us hope over here at uh, Terrible <laughs> Warriors that maybe we'll try our hand at doing something of our own, hopefully sometime in the future. Not saying too Absolutely. much here, but hey. <laughs> um, so when you started getting more and more stuff under your belt, like I said, you had Achung Cthulhu. You started getting other licenses, and this is where we'll transition yeah. in the Fallout. How did you get the license for that game from bethesda considering they had the problems with the pen and paper rpg a number of years ago well um i've been talking to them for a while actually so when i had the t-shirt company uh joystick junkies i was talking to them about doing t-shirts this is years ago so i used to see them at e3 and i'd go and say hello and you know you just stay in touch and then when um we'd been building up now you don't just go and get a big license like that it helps that we'd got thunderbirds and Conan and John Carter, you know, and of course now, you know, last year we got Star Trek. So I'm not going in there as little Chris Birch. Oh, can you give me a license? Please, I'll make a really good game, you know. So, um, you know, it, we could prove that we did professional products and that we knew how to work with big licensees, uh, that we would treat their property with respect. And of course, we it took like a year of talking and uh, discussing the contracts and the deals and, you know, us figuring out if we could make it work and all of that. And, you know, it's a huge amount of work, but we figured it was worth it. And um, hopefully it will be because <laughs> we've been working on it for about a year now. So it's all about to kick off. Uh, but it's it's great. You know, I think it's a, it's like Star Trek. It was a pretty safe bet. You know, I, I love it. And I, I only work on stuff that I love because if I know I'm going to be working on Saturday nights, sometimes Sunday nights, two in the morning, whatever it is. And so you might as well be doing something you love rather than something that, you know, you don't really. It's just about the money. If it was about the money, I would probably still be doing T-shirts or doing something different, you know. <laughs> so... I guess my like main question is why do tabletop wargaming as opposed to a traditional RPG? Cause that seems where most of your experience is. Yeah. Um, well, there's various reasons. Uh, I mean, I grew up on war games, so, you know, I, my first war game, I actually found it the other day. Uh, and, um, I, I would collect lots. I'd been playing D and D from about age nine with my brother and his girlfriend and I started go picking up like paint, vaguely badly painted miniatures, you know, secondhand D&D Citadel miniatures and Ralph miniatures at conventions and secondhand places and gaming shops. And um, uh, I used to mold some of my own using uh, there was a thing called Prince August that you could mold your own kind of blobby looking orcs and and warriors and things that was hilarious so i i would i would kind of make up all my little fantasy armies and then write battle games for them but in my head i was still doing D, &D. you know i was still kind of 
well, I didn't get the difference. And Dungeons and Dragons started as a war game. It was a war game set of rules that they added. You know, it was like uh, warriors and knights and stuff. And then they added monsters and they added magic. And so it came out of war games. I mean, the, basically, the very first version was essentially a war game, and you're just in a dungeon. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so I've I've always seen them as very close. And um, when we came to Fallout, uh, I mean, they weren't keen on doing a role-playing game. And it's not because of previous experience. It's just because, now, now think about it this way. When you think about a role-playing game, think about how many books there are and how big those books are and how much content's in the book. And someone at their end has got to read every single word and make sure it's correct and make sure that we haven't changed the name of something or said that something's happened when it didn't happen. And some games, video games companies are up for that because they've got people who love it. And some of them just don't want the extra distraction because it's not worth it. And for them, approving miniatures is easy because it looks like the model. And it's like, you know, and we, we proved, I mean, we've literally out of maybe 70 sculpts we've submitted now, we've only had three. Uh, one, uh, the head wasn't quite right. The other one, the head, um, it's, that person isn't in that suit of armor. <laughs> so we're going with the, the, the head of the armor rather than the person's head instead. And another one where a creature's neck wasn't quite right. So out of all those 60 scalps, we proved that we knew their world inside out and we could get it right. And the good thing with war games is, is they don't need a huge amount of um, universe storyline because you're effectively writing the rules. Rules don't really have a lot of canon storyline in them. Uh, It's generally in the scenarios. So it's a lot easier for them to approve. And, um, but good thing is for people who are like, oh, but I wanted to play a Fallout RPG, guys. So here's the thing. Every unit card has their special stats. If you know, if you know Fallout, if you've played it, you know that every character has special stats, which is basically RPG stats. And our game is designed for kind of three upwards of 30 figures. I like playing battles. You know, when I play a war game, I actually stick everything on the table. So (laughs) even though this is only really designed for 30, you can bet uh, I am going to be sticking 100 Brotherhood of Steel T60 armors on a table versus like 200 Death Claws just to see what happens. And I'll probably be playing it all weekend, but (laughs) why not? So um, just to go back. So then the other thing is you can just stick three or four figures on the table and those three or four figures can be your characters. They can be, um, heroes. They, you know, you can give them upgrades and gear and because you've got, uh, strength, perception, uh, intelligence, agility, luck, etc. The game uses those stats for various things. So if you're hacking a computer, uh, if you're um, searching a pile of junk or trying to open uh, or repair a piece of equipment, you're using all those stats just like an RPG character. So there's nothing stopping you having um, or, or getting an RPG experience out of this. And um, I'm sure lots of people will be uh, doing their own homebrew versions based off the figures and the and the basic um, rules components. But um, the, the we've pretty much written the, RP, the, uh, the, the war game with a sort of RPG flavor. It's got this narrative content. It's, you can play basic battles. You can just go, let's do a 50 or a 500 cat battle. And you know, it's just first to the middle and who kills the most or whatever. Um, but a lot of our, uh, a lot of the releases are all about 
getting a much deeper story out of this you feel like in the full light universe you're growing your team you're improving your characters you're experiencing this story and there's consequences of doing stuff and you're building your settlement in the background and that lets you have more t60 armors or it lets you add in um upgrades to your gear or your weapons or whatever so there's a there's a, we, we've used a lot of our RPG experience to make this a more fun war game experience and, and things like you know adding in solo rules and, and by adding in solo rules it means you can have co-op play. Um, so I love the idea of just kind of you know the two of us playing a game versus rules. You know, so we're defending a base and there's a huge uh, force of super mutants attacked us and the game will control that for us. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot more to it so uh, when you say war game it's for me uh, and and when we're designing it we're kind of thinking very broadly in terms of what people would have thought of war games years back when really it's kind of all the same thing you know it does sound like if so, as you mentioned if someone wanted to homebrew a more narrative driven experience out of this it's not going to be that hard and as you were talking there i'm thinking you know what the special stats are there, so if I oh, want yeah. to do less... on every everything, you could you could role play a bunch of death claws if you really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's and and the rules include everything. You know, running, jumping, climbing, hacking. I mean, uh, and even uh, you've got charisma, so you've got the the stat to talk to people, and there will be cases where you've got to make a charisma check to uh you know win a character over or to to do something within a scenario it also lets us build really fun innovative scenarios that aren't just about who gets to shoot this first or who gets to destroy this first so there's lots of stuff like we've got scenarios where you know you're trying to plant uh, explosives on the um the supports of one of the sort of flyovers because everyone keeps building bases up there shooting at you and uh, another one is um uh, like a supermarket sweep type thing where you're trying to race through the super, the super duper mark collecting as much stuff as you can under the watchful eye of a bunch of raiders and uh, you know there's all kinds of cool stuff uh, you know another one is um, raiding a, um, uh, a, a big factory and you're trying to hack the data out of the computers but if you're the super mutants um, or the, of the other side they can't do anything until they see that you're actually hacking the computers and then they can interact with the computers themselves because now they go, oh, that's what they're doing. So there's lots of cool stuff that um, uh, makes the scenarios uh, as deep as you want. Or, as I said, some people out there are just going to be thinking, I don't care. I just want to shoot a bunch of super mutants. And that's exactly what you can do. So Now, how are you guys going to work in some of the perks into the world? So with perks, we are going to work them into the game um, through your leaders. So every, uh, we call it a crew at the moment, but I might name might change. Every sort of place faction will have a bunch of uh, uh, units. Some of them can be made heroes or heroic. And that you can make a unit heroic of like three, four guys if you want, but that'll make them very costly. Heroic gives you access to more advanced rules. It gives you special abilities and stuff. It gives you access to luck, that kind of thing. Um, so you can make a bunch of your characters heroic, and then you can make one of your figures, one of uh, the leader. So that gives them a leadership ability. And it also um, gives them access to perks as well. And um, perks are kind of balanced with the growth of your crew and your settlement. And for example... 
if you um, improve your settlement so that you've got a weapon workbench, that might now give you access to pistol upgrades. And if you find a pistol upgrade like a, a scope, a silencer, an ex, uh, improved magazine, uh, a piece of gear on the battlefield, you can't use that unless you've got the um, settlement upgrade because you can't keep it repaired and keep it in use. And you also need the perk to be able to utilize it and add it to your weapon as well. So we've got this sort of um, sort of growing number of perks and settlement, uh, what they call boosts at the moment, which balance nicely to give you access to different things. Um, and you, you don't necessarily get, you know, uh, the next game, you might get a different set of, you know, if you've got a, um, a settlement um, armor workbench, you might get a, access to different upgrades for the next mission, or as well as finding them in the in the battlefield, you might you might get one or two at random to use in the game. Um, so there's a lot of kind of cool stuff going on. One of the things I wanted to ask. So you've mentioned people like the Brotherhood of Steel. You've mentioned raiders. What are some of the other factions we can expect? Would we maybe see, say, the railroad or the Enclave, or maybe people from uh, the California faction whose name escapes me. So, yeah, the, um, the, the first wave of releases we've got, the Brotherhood of Steel and the Super Mutants, and then what, we've, what we call the Survivors set. And that's basically the opening um, story of Fallout 4, where you've got Preston Garvey, you've got Ronnie uh, Sturgis, uh, Mama Murphy, and you've got a bunch of settlers. So this is kind of like your... Um, your little settlement in Sanctuary Hills, because you've got that kind of bunch of nameless dudes walking around in the background to, um, you know, if you ever get attacked, um, uh, help out. So you've got that, and they're kind of sort of part Minutemen, part generic settlers. So you can kind of build your own faction. I know a lot of people want to do that. Uh, or you can kind of go heavy into the Super Mutants or the, or the Brotherhood. And the starter set itself comes with some Super Mutants, and um, you've got the female soul survivor and dog meat. You've got a, uh, a T60 armor suit um, uh, with a, a sort of Brotherhood of Steel aspirant who's kind of, um, you know, a wanderer. And, and then you've got um, a couple of survivors. So um, you've got a whole bunch of stories that you can tell with the starter set to learn the rules and, to, you know, have some cool games with kind of upwards of about sort of um, six figures aside. So then when you want to grow, you'd pick one of the faction boxes. And beyond those, you know, the Super Mutants and Brotherhood of Steel and the Survivors, we've got the Raiders coming next. We've got the Institute. Um, and then we'll be growing the sort of survivors there'll be lots of minute expansions there'll be uh vault dweller expansions you can leave your survivors faction and there'll be things like neutral groups like the gunner like rangers there will be um the enclave coming later and then we'll be starting to look at more factions uh, and smaller sub factions it might just come as a sort of expansion box of three to five figures so um you can kind of um again, flavor the faction. You want to first lots and lots of characters from the game. And when we were talking to people, it looks like, you know, lots of people really want to play games with lots of the characters, lots of the companions. So you've got, you're going to have access to loads and loads of kind of hero characters. Uh, so you could just have like a whole faction of characters if you really want. I'm really looking forward to playing uh, Nick Valentine personally. 
Yeah, he's. I just seen his sculpt. Actually, it's looking cool. Speaking of sculpts, I was kind of reading on some previous interviews that you've got a Liberty Prime sculpt. How is that thing looking? <laughs> that is amazing. It comes actually on a on a on a gaming base, but also on a collector's. Um, you know, collector's edition base. If you just want to have it posed on your on your shelf, um, it's kind of standing over a bit of the red rocket, a kind of crushed rocket and Nuka Cola machine. It looks amazing, and it's kind of mid throw of a uh, you know mini nuke. <laughs> that is so. so uh, it's pretty awesome, and it's going to be massive. I mean, it's it's a giant model. It's it's the sort of thing you just like. We've just got to do it because it we'd be mad not to. And uh, uh, it will be a sort of narrative part of a load of missions uh, because, you know, if you had that thing with like 10 figures, you'd just be, you know, you'd wipe the floor. But uh, later on, we're, we're doing kind of a bigger game rules. So there's going to be a campaign box that will introduce rules for bigger mass battles for the people who just want to grow the size of the game. And you'll be able to incorporate it into, a, you know, a narrative mission where you're trying to protect it whilst it powers up or, you know, it's basically throwing uh, uh, any nukes off the game board and you're trying to stop the other force taking it, you know, stopping it from shooting, that kind of thing. So there's lots of kind of cool ways we thought of including it and just having one anyway, it's going to be awesome to paint up. Will we see other big things like, say, the Pride Win or Vertibirds or anything like that? I think the Pride Win is probably a bit big. <laughs> it would uh, probably be as big as your table, but the Vertibird is definitely on the list. And um, we're, uh, we've sort of got a Myalurk Queen scheduled. And it just it kind of shows off that I just love doing the big stuff. And I just love making cool models. And even if it not technically practical in the game right now i know we'll figure out a way to use them and um the 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 very birds are going to let you kind of move around on the table quickly um you know they're effectively they've got a, you know a, a big gatling laser on the side and um there's a you know there's a t60 that's carrying one of those around so um there'll be a lot of fun to use on the bigger scale of games so if you're pushing like 25 30 figures then you know you can probably have a very bird as a sort of backup support and um you know certainly if the uh, the super mutants are fielding a behemoth we've got one of those sculpted and just signed off now i'm just wondering because you you're you're talking about um play pieces and whatnot are you going to have official play mats are we going to see diamond city maybe well, we've got um, we are doing a um, a mat for the Red Rocket because we're making we teamed up with a company called Battle Systems who do really beautiful clip together card buildings. So we've we're doing a joint set with them, which has a uh, it's a pre-printed card Red Rocket set with resin uh, gas pumps, a resin rocket, and a resin Nuka Cola machine. Then, um, you know, there'll be a big mat that goes under this that's kind of marked with the roadway and the, and the, um, the sort of dry earth around red rockets. And, and then we're also doing lots of uh, cool scenic pieces like um, the sedan cars in, and you can make them look rusted or, or not. Um, there'll be the APCs that you find around the Westlanders, again, a scenic piece or an actual working APC if you want to uh, rock around and shoot stuff with it. There will be um, lots of other kind of um, Vault-Tec um, 
consoles and storage boxes. We're going to have other, uh, you know, like uh, power cell generators and lots of like gear that's very iconically Fallout. Lots of little pieces that you can stick onto your existing buildings to make them look more Fallout, like little consoles that come out of the wall. So we're doing a lot of stuff to help people create really cool uh, Fallout battle. Uh, boards and and the game would typically be pay, played over a three foot by three foot um, space. You can do the very first games like with just a few characters in it, like two foot by two foot. Mm-hmm. And then really big games, you might want to kind of push up to sort of four foot or four by six if you wanted to do really kind of crazy big battles. So, but I mean, typically three by three foot is about right. And you can kind of have lots of scattered terrain over that. And that might be kind of bushes and trees or some kind of shacks or old buildings. And the great thing is because it's uses, you know, if you, if you know Fallout 4, you know, like the, um, the main town that you find first, uh, where you have your, you meet the, um, Preston and the crew, and confront the death claw that has a lot of kind of very generic looking sort of old world buildings so it's quite easy to kind of put together that type of terrain but we're going to be doing some of our own sets as well i gotta say i'm really looking forward to being able to build my own nuka world so to speak or yeah. far harbor or something like that i mean this this game sounds exciting and i mentioned at the beginning uh, at the beginning of this interview i've never been in the war gaming i think this is probably going to change that this sounds so much fun as you mentioned there's a lot of narrative stuff built into it if i want to do that yeah and that liberty prime i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna try and hit you up for one of those um <laughs> that just sounds so badass this game it, it it sounds so much fun and it's nice to see as i do more of these interviews from a personal standpoint seeing how developers it's not you really have to love what you're working on and that's i don't know it's this is different from other creative interviews that I've done in other I- industry, be it film, television, or video games. Game developers, there's something a little different about you guys and how you function and how your passion transforms your projects into reality. And uh, it's inspiring and very enlightening to hear you guys talk about this uh, sort of thing with such passion and enthusiasm because since this call started almost a half hour ago your enthusiasm is bloody infectious (laughs) (laughs) well it's just like i said if you you end up if you run your own business you end up working stupid hours Uh, i'm sure you know like from you know running the site this you know this week in geek the the kind of crazy times you'll pull to get Mm -hmm. stuff ready and finished and you've just got to love it and if you don't love it then why are you doing it and um, you know, we're really lucky to be doing something that we love and being able to uh, run it as a business. And, and with Modifius, you know, we've, I always think of it as a, an honor that we've been able to raise the money through Kickstarter, that we've got these customers that still want to give us money five years down the line. And there's a lot of people who stuck with us and they multiple games. And, uh, you know, I just it just blows me away that people like, you know, there's so many other great games out there. And, um, you know, I just, you know, it's a real honor when people give you, the, you know, your game when there's so many other cool stuff. If, if it was my money, there's so many, so many other cool games out there. It's such a brilliant time to be a game. You've just got too much choice. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great problem to have, but, you know, we, none of us can play all those games. And um, just hope that we, you know, we keep making games that blow you away and when you open the box you're like oh i can't believe all this cool stuff's in here and and 
you know, that we, we just keep doing great looking design and, uh, and, you know, the design of the games themselves is always very much, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder. It's, you know, not everyone loves our RPG, you know, rules and not everyone will love the, the war game system for Fallout because people love different things. But that's the beauty of the industry is that there's all this different stuff and it's all good, you know. It doesn't matter whether you hate narrative role-playing or love crunchy role-playing or whatever they're all great because they all give us different experiences so um i think we're just fortunate to be able to all work on the stuff we 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 love doing so if people keep buying our stuff we'll keep making cool games well i gotta say i mean this year on the show uh as we move into our fifth year on uh terrible warriors we're going to be playing star trek adventures and that will be helmed up by game master justin we were talking about in the loop so hopefully we'll get a chance to check out that because that's like stranger things meets the weird 1980s and even stuff like cthulhu sounds like something i'd like to check out so definitely this will be something that we will be checking out on the show as the year moves forward as we get new game masters and more people involved in the show because we had a very successful com bravo this year guys and Maybe next year when we do our next season finale, maybe we'll do something even stranger. But Chris, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us today on Terrible Warriors. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that was my interview with Chris Birch, the founder of Modifius Games. Man, I am going to spend a stupid amount of money on Fallout. My God, some of this just sounds so much fun. And if I can homebrew hack something into this for maybe a four-hour one-shot session, I don't see why not. And that's the beauty of stuff like this, because as as Chris said during the interview, D&D started as a war game itself. So to hack the system, not that impossible and actually does sound kind of fun but the but if i can get a few people to kick the crap out of some super mutants then i'm definitely gonna do that so anyway guys enjoy the rest of the month of august you better be playing games like i said if you guys are going to gen con please let us know we're hopefully going to try and attend next year also be sure to check out our patreon patreon.com slash terrible warriors you get our exclusive debriefs for i think it's one dollar or five dollars something like that go check it out but every dollar goes right back into the show 100 so we can make it a better show for you our terrible warriors we also have a discord channel i just found out about so uh, look up uh, Terrible Warriors on there. You might find myself, Justin, Derek, Cam. One of us is on there at some random hour. I'm usually up there just doing random Q&As. So. Um, anyway, guys, until next time, I've been your game master, Mike the Birdman Dodd, saying live free or die hard. And I'll catch you guys again next time right here on TerribleWarriors.com.